we are starting a new series called Encounters, and what we're talking about is these encounters with Jesus that changed people's lives. And, you know, I don't know, well, I pretty much know most of your stories, and uh, um, I don't know if you're like me, but I have these certain times in my life where I have had an encounter with Jesus. The first one was, well, uh, when, when I accepted Christ. Now, just so to be fair, I've probably accepted Christ like 17 times. I don't know which one stuck, okay? But, um, but each time I had this encounter of knowing that what Jesus had to offer uh, was much better than my sin, was much better than uh, my ability to navigate my life. And you might have had something similar. I've had what we would call charismatic encounters with Jesus that... Um, that I don't usually share with a bunch of people because they're so wacky, right? And, uh, and so I've, ha I've had that happen. I've had encounters with God. I remember um, in just becoming a pastor, coming out of business and, and uh, becoming a pastor and sitting in this parking lot and praying, God, would you like me to actually leave my great job? Please say no, please say no, please say no. And uh, the Lord says, yes, I would like you to do that. And it was like, okay. And so 16 years later, here I am. But um, I've had all these different encounters. And I've had them through people speaking words to me. I've had them through uh, congregational times of worship. I've had them through, believe it or not, board meetings, which you'd think, oh my goodness. Um, but our board meetings are really fun here. So, uh, but I've, I've had these encounters with Jesus. And that's really kind of what we all want is some type of an encounter with God to maybe give us direction or maybe to break some chains that have been uh, holding us back for a long time or maybe um, uh, giving us this extra special strength that we didn't think that we had. And so uh, that's what we're talking about is these different um, encounters that we have. And this morning, we're going to talk about a story that's super famous. Even if you're new to the Bible or new to Christianity or new to Jesus, you've probably heard uh, either references to this story or memes that have to do with this story or whatever. Um, but it takes place at a wedding. And so for those of you who are Bible scholars out there, most of you, uh, by the way, for those of you who are here, great job getting here uh, with an hour less of sleep. This morning, uh, I typically wake up around 5.30 on a Sunday morning, uh, mostly in tears. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I, I wake up at 5.30. So this morning, I woke up at 4.30, and I was like, should I stay awake or should I go back to sleep? I'm like, oh, I was kind of awake. Got up, got my coffee. Uh, got, you know, everything ready to kind of prepare for the morning and all these things. And I looked at my microwave, and it was 3.30. Because I didn't realize that my phone had taken an hour of my life away. And so I was, in, I was in that. So you guys are doing really well. So this is at a wedding. Now I've done about, um, I think, about 50 weddings. Uh, even as I look out, I've done some of your weddings, some of your kids' weddings. And um, the thing, I've done every kind of wedding. I've done weddings for rich people. I've done weddings for poor people. I've done, don't raise your hand, <laughs> I've done weddings, I've done big weddings, I've done very small weddings. I've done weddings for people who uh, their family was, um, we'll just say, dysfunctional, and so most of the wedding rehearsal, <laughs> stop raising your hands, God, 
uh, have done, where their family's dysfunctional. And so we spend most of the time prior to the wedding, how, like how to navigate Uncle Steve, you know, those types of things. I did a wedding one time where the, the, the best man was so drunk that he was walking down the aisle leaning like this, and I'm like, he's, he's gone. I'm, I'm standing here, and I'm like, he's gone. He's, go, he's going to fall into the thing. I don't know how he did it, but he righted himself and walked upstairs and was able to ma- make it. I've done uh, weddings where uh, I know the people who are there that they didn't want there, <laughs> right? But they didn't know, right? I've n- known that. I'm, I'm in this weird space in a wedding. I can say, see when someone's nervous, when their hands are trembling a little bit. I know when things are going wrong that nobody else knows about. I know when things are going really right. Uh, I had a wedding one time uh, where the, the groom forgot the ring, okay, which is fine. You know, we, I have a ring. Some lady had a ring probably we could have used, but no, he had to have that ring. So he drove home to go get it, making the guests wait an hour, sitting in there. And I was up on stage. All right. Got my phone, a couple rounds of Candy Crush. I'm good, right? No, I had, to, I had to tell him, like, hey, he's still coming. It's okay. It's like this whole big thing because he had to have that particular ring. I've made some mistakes in some weddings. <laughs> Matter of fact, Travis, who you just saw up here praying, uh, I did Travis and Val's wedding, and the day before I had done a funeral. And so uh, we, everything got ready, and she comes down, and she's beautiful, and he's handsome, and all these things we went through, and I opened my Bible, and it was, uh, you know, life is short, <laughs> you know, we're all, we're all going to die. Like, okay, all right. Let's see, I'm a professional. So fortunately, my lovely assistant, Lisa, ran out to my car and got my real notes, and, uh, and there we go. And here's the thing, two things. The pastor can only ruin a wedding. You can't add anything. No one's there to see the pastor. If you give the best wedding message or you do everything without a hitch no one will remember you they are not there for you you can only ruin a wedding because no matter rich poor big small first marriage second marriage yes I did do a third marriage one time uh, third marriage the goal is to be joyful Nobody is there for a solemn wedding. Funerals, totally different. Weddings, joyful. Joyful celebration. My own daughter's wedding. We're just there. If like I didn't think people were having a good time or joyful, then it would be you know, not that great a wedding. I'm glad they're getting married. But you can always just elope for that. As a matter of fact, I did a wedding one time where they had eloped like a couple months before and nobody knew. And, and so they thought that this wedding was like getting married. It's a, I fake a lot of things. It's true. But, and so, and so uh, but the ultimate goal, no matter who it is, it's a, it's a celebration of joy. And that's what you expect. And so the wedding we're going to see was a wedding done that Jesus attended. And just to give you some historical context of what goes on at a wedding at that time, they would last about a week. Now, you're like, 
oh my gosh, I don't ever want to go to a wedding that, that lasts a week. Trust me. I, I don't even like to go to weddings. I know it sounds terrible. I just don't. I have this plan uh, in the future of how to get out of going to weddings, but my wife says I can never verbalize it, but it's a good idea, and we can look into it. Ask me later. And so, so Jesus goes to this wedding last week, because here's why. First of all, most of the people in these areas that Jesus was at were poor. And so when you said you were going to a wedding, sometimes that might be a day's journey. It's not just like getting on ways and going, man, it's 45 minutes. I thought it was going to be a half an hour. It's not like that. It's like you got to pack the kids up. You got to pack everybody up. You travel to this place. And so if you were putting on a wedding, many, many, many months of planning, housing, you know, food, all these things, trying to find out. They didn't have the internet. You didn't just sign up and RSVP. You were expected to go. Also, this might be your big event for the year as a person. Like you would really look forward to going to a wedding because it was time off. You got to be with family. You got to be with friends. And so the first day might just be the first day of the wedding is arrival and everybody's getting situated. You see what I'm saying? And so it just, it goes on and on and on. And so it's a really big deal. For some people uh, living in poverty, this, this would have been their big event for the year. If they had a calendar, and on their papyrus calendar, they'd do whatever and mark down, you know, John and Lisa's wedding, you know, in August. And, and it might be the August before. You just, you just knew that. So what happens at this wedding that Jesus is at is a really, really big deal. As a matter of fact, what happens uh, in some, sometimes you could sue <laughs> because they didn't, meet this particular expectation. It's historical. It's true. So here's, here's what happens uh, with, with Jesus. And as I read this first uh, verse, you'll know where we're at. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus's mother was there. Okay, so we, John uh, is setting uh, the, the, the scene here. And just to give you a little bit of information about John, the book of John, what we call the book of John. This book was written actually after the apostle Paul had died, the apostle Peter had died. It was almost like they had the three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Luke ends, Luke's job is this careful inquiry of what's going on. And it almost appears as though John's congregation is like, you keep telling us these stories about Jesus that we don't read in these other Gospels, you should write those down. Now, again, I believe that this book is inspired by the Holy Spirit, that all those words are there because the Holy Spirit inspired. But life happens, and it might have been a nudge from his congregation. This is why this particular story is only in John's Gospel, as were some other many stories in John's Gospel are only in John's Gospel because he's filling in some gaps. John ends his Gospel with this. Jesus did so many more works that there's not enough books to fill up all the things that Jesus did. So you can kind of get this idea of why John wrote the book of John. So that's just a little geeky Bible stuff that I like. And so you have to like it. 
On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus, with his disciples, of which there were probably at this point only about five. He had just talked to Andrew, Nathaniel. So it's not like the whole group of 12. Maybe it is, but probably not. He's invited to the wedding. Now, John writes these words. When the wine was gone. Now, I have to take you back into this culture so that you understand what's going on here. Um, the, this would have been the wine for the week, okay? And so you get to day four, day five. This should have already been all planned out. And it is a big deal. This was the thing I was telling you you could sue over. Like, like the bridegroom was responsible for the wine and the bride's family could sue over not having enough wine. Now, be, again, before you start thinking in our own terms, it wasn't like it is now. You've ever been to a wedding, which I've been to plenty, where somebody has too much to drink. It's usually a family member, uncle, some group, part of the par bridal party, and it starts going off the rails. It's not really like that. You're not consuming a lot of alcohol within like an hour. It's a celebration. And so it's just part of the celebration. It would be like saying they ran out of food, okay? Um, another thing, just real quick. John never put this in the Bible so that Christians could decide whether or not it's okay to drink. And I hear this story told all the time. Well, Jesus turned the water into wine, right? So I can have this scotch. It, it, it has nothing to do with that. This is a cultural thing. You drinking is between you and your heavenly father. You might be able to. I can't. You might be able to. Who cares? That's the thing. We know one thing for sure. The Bible is very clear on. You can't abuse it. You can't get drunk. Okay? It's just very clear in the Bible. So now that we've gotten that out of the way, they run out of wine. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. All right? He tells him. Now, Bunch of scholars have all sorts of reasons why. Some think that Mary was the one really involved in this. Like she was involved with kind of like the planner or whatever. And she had to make sure everybody had housing and all the things that happened in a, a week-long wedding. And all these. We just, don't, we just don't know. But she goes to Jesus. The wine's gone. Somebody didn't do their job. And it's a big deal. Somebody didn't check or they miscalculated or maybe on the, the wine on the way there a cart fell over and the wine fell out I mean it's not like they had trucks like we do now I mean there could have been any number of reasons of why the wine came uh, fell short the other thing to understand about wine all through the bible it's a symbol of joy it's a symbol of joy, and we can, I'll get to some other scriptures on that as well that kind of show that. But it was this, this idea of levity, this idea of enjoyment, this idea, again, we're not talking about, you know, getting wasted. It's just a, this idea of just celebration, of joy. And somebody messed up, and the joy ran out, essentially. Now, where I'm going with this is this. In any human system you have, in any way you have where you think you're going to find fulfillment in life, 
Maybe through your finances, through sex, through relationships, through growing a large family, through having a small family, through staying single, whatever your process is, at some point, it will fail you. At some point, you will sit and you will be empty of joy. It wouldn't work. You say, you know, I just want to get to a place of retirement. You save, 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 work, 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 work. That's your system. Go, 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 go. You get into retirement and finally, and your kids move back in or whatever. Maybe that's great for you. I don't know. Not so much with me. Anyway, so you get to this place or your health fails. You've been healthy your whole life, doing everything you should do, eating right, exercising, blah, 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 blah. You save, you're, you're so disciplined, and then the system fails having nothing to do with you. Maybe for you, it was a relationship. You just want to get married. Just want to get married. Oh, I just need a spouse. Just want a spouse. Just want to get, oh man, I see all my friends. They're married. I want to get married. Oh, I'm single. And then you get married. And your joy runs out. <laughs> because he or she isn't the person you had expected them to be. Or maybe for you, uh, your whole life, your looks have been kind of open doors for you. You know how to play it. You know how it goes. You're kind of, you know, you, you know that when you walk into a room, you're the best looking person in the room, especially in a church like ours where you're all the best looking person in the room. Uh, you get to that and then you start to age and you start to age and you're doing everything you can to try to keep that thing you had and you're in your 60s, 70s. And yes, you're beautiful, all those things. But what you had as a standard, you can't keep up with. Everyone will tell you you're beautiful. Everyone will say, no, you look great, everything. But for your standard, it starts to fail you. At some point, all of us will need to come to Jesus and say the wine's run out. I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's embarrassing Maybe for you it is an alcohol thing. You're doing great and that's how you have fun and you're, you're partying with your friends and everything's cool and you're not going crazy and you don't miss a day at work or whatever like that. You're just jamming and, you, you know, weekends you just party or whatever and then you get a DUI and your joy runs out. You lose your job and your joy runs out. Your identity was what you do rather than your identity being in who you are as a created son or daughter by your heavenly father who loves you no matter what. At some point, for all of us, our joy runs out. In this case, they have no more wine. And Jesus says something, and before we freak out, woman, <laughs> right? So I said it as we would normally read it, right? We would normally read this like, oh my goodness, Jesus, settle down, bro. Like, you can't just start calling your mom woman, right? It's the same thing he does from the cross. He, he's just saying, dear one, okay? So we translate it woman. In the context of where it is, it's just sweetheart, honey, whatever it is. It's not like we would say it. But I just like saying it that way because I can get away with it. Why do you involve me? Oh, that is such a great question. That is a really great question. When our joy runs out and we go to Jesus, he asks us the same question. Why are you involving me? Almost like you didn't involve me when you created the system. You didn't involve me when you were walking into a room and you knew you were the, you were the smartest. 
You were the prettiest. You were the richest. You were the most educated. You didn't involve me then. Oh, your joy ran out. And now you're involving me. <laughs> you, you didn't involve me when you got married. You, he was the, oh my goodness, he was the greatest thing. He's, he's hardcore. Oh man, he's so edgy. And like, yeah, guess what? When you get married, continues to be that. He's a flirt. Oh, he's still a flirt. Oh, wow. You didn't involve me. You didn't ask me to marry if you should marry him. You didn't ask me if you should have kids. You didn't ask me any of these things. Why do you involve me? Jesus is almost saying, I'm putting words in his mouth for sure, but if you look through the Gospels, this is what he's saying. I, I came here to save the world, not plan a wedding. Right? I, I came here to, to uh, bring freedom, not look down the list of people who are supposed to be here and count up how much wine for each person. Jesus replied, my hour hasn't come. I mean, this is why I'm here. Not to do tricks, not to perform miracles. Jesus, uh, Mary comes to Jesus as his mom, right? And he's asking her a question. But she leaves the way we all are supposed to leave. When we tell Jesus our joy has run out and can you fix it? She leaves in obedience. Jesus modeled this when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane where he's like, oh man, I do not want to go to the cross. I do not want to go to the cross. But Father, your will be done, not mine. And that's how Mary responds. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. She leaves. That could have been Jesus could have said, tell everyone, sorry, there's no wine. It could have been, you know, well, I, you know, I, you know, get me something to eat. I, it could have been anything. She says, do whatever he tells you to do. Nearby stood six stone water jars. This is very important. John, John, remember, when John writes this down, he writes down what's important to John. And, more importantly, what's important to the readers of that time. They would have said, wait, the stone jars for ceremonial washing? Like, whoa. Because, of course, they don't know what's happening just yet as they're reading for the first time. They're like, whoa, those are, those are special. Those are special. The kind used uh, by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. These were huge. Okay, so it ends up being about 180 gallons of liquid that it, they could hold. And they're used for ceremonial washing. So what they would do is they'd fill these things up. Anything that was unclean, your hands, or if you touched anything. Again, they, they view cleanliness and uncleanliness different than we do. This is all about holiness. These are the vessels. Don't miss this. These are the vessels set aside to be used for holy ceremonial cleansing. That's what they're used for. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. 180 gallons of water are in these, are in these stone jars. Now, we had talked about watching The Chosen on Wednesday night. This Wednesday night is this scene. If you can watch it with a dry eye, I can't help you, okay? 
It's so powerful, this scene. So come tonight, or you can watch it on the app, but it's, I mean, uh, not tonight, Wednesday night, or watch it on the app, but it's more fun when we do it together, so uh, you can do it then. Fill the uh, jars with water, so they filled them uh, to the brim. Then he told them, draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water, and now for the reader, this is the first time they saw this, that had been turned into wine. Jesus takes this law, this old way of thinking, which was by God. The, the law was designed by God that always came up short because we always ended up sinning and we always needed to sacrifice again and again and again. And we always needed to cleanse ourselves again and again and again, like we do now. They're no different. We sin, they sin. The difference is what Jesus provided on the cross and through communion, that wine representing his blood, now takes away all the sins of the world, now cleanses us from all unrighteousness, he takes this ceremonial washing, this, this old way of doing it, and Jesus comes and changes everything. And in the process, ruins the jars. You put red wine in anything, it stains. So he takes these ceremonial jars that are used for cleanliness, that are used for water, and he fills them, changes them to wine. It's powerful, powerful, powerful. So he takes it to the banquet, uh, turned the water into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants had drawn the water new. Then he called the bridegroom. This is uh, the banquet master. Calls the bridegroom aside. And again, this scene is so powerful in The Chosen. Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine. You start with Heineken, you go to Natty Light, right? You just wait till everyone's been drinking, whatever. Everyone brings out, <laughs> that one's going to come back to bite me. Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. So there are some camps of Christianity that say that wine back in Jesus' day really wasn't wine. It was, it was a little bit of wine, but it was mostly water, and that's why. That, then this one doesn't make any sense. I don't know where they get that from. It was wine. After they had had uh, too much to drink, but you saved the best till now. Let me tell you something. If you don't remember anything from this morning, the joy you were trying to get out of whatever system you were doing is nothing like the joy that comes through following Jesus. Nothing. It, it transcends everything. It transcends your circumstances. It transcends your finances. It transcends your health and how your body you expect it to work. It transcends uh, who's in office. It transcends who's in office. And it also transcends, yeah, you get where I'm going. It transcends the economy. It transcends what, how men and women lead. What Jesus provides is the best kind of joy. Matter of fact, Jesus, we'll read this a little later, says, the whole purpose why I came here 
was so that my joy would be in you and that your joy would be, you think of yourself as a vessel filled to the brim. Your joy would be full, topped off, overflowing. He says, you brought, saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs. He broke the system that was used before. And he displayed a joy. He displayed the kingdom of God being active and living in our lives. What Jesus did in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs which uh, he revealed his glory and the disciples believed in him. I wrote down some things in Ecclesiastes. I was, uh, the joke is you read, you read Psalms in your 20s and you read Ecclesiastes in your 50s. <laughs> like, like Ecclesiastes is like, yeah, pretty much none of it matters except following God. <laughs> like that's, that's the thing. And uh, this great section of scripture in Ecclesiastes talks about this idea of your own systems and how they fail. He says this. I said to myself, as Solomon speaking, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me, right? So we know this from Solomon, that he was the wisest man that ever lived, the wisest king. Uh, now, his actions, his, the way he used that wisdom uh, was faulty, but he was the wisest one. I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much wisdom and knowledge. The dude is smart, okay? Then I applied myself to understanding of wisdom and also the madness of folly. So the guy went both ways. And if you read about Solomon, it, it, it went, he, he was great at this and terrible at this. Just think of some of the leaders we have that really excel in one thing and are really bizarre. Uh, that's Solomon. And also the malice of folly. But I learned that this too was chasing after wind. My system of wisdom and knowledge, and I'd have people come and they'd give me gifts and I'd, I'd judge and I'd, I'd give this wisdom of God to people. And I realized that if that is my system, if that's what's going to give me joy, it's going to fail me. And then I had a whole bunch of concubines and a whole bunch of wives and I ate the choicest foods and I partied and I did all this stuff. And I realized that was chasing after wind. For, listen to this, with much wisdom comes much sorrow. For those seasoned people in the sound of my voice, <laughs> watching online or here, you kind of know that. As you've lived life and you've seen, man, this is unfair. That doesn't make sense. Man, I was really involved in this and I thought that was going to be it. And then it wasn't. Or I really hoped that I'd be farther along in my career, and I'm not. Or I see someone that I really looked up to. Has this ever happened to you? You look at somebody you really looked up to, and you thought, that's where I want to model my life. And then you find out facts about them, brokenness about them, where you just go, what? For some of you, coming back to church or coming back to the Bible, 
Maybe that was it for you. Maybe you saw some people who on the outside were just, they kept telling you, follow Jesus, live holy, live holy. Oh, you got to read your Bible and go to church and do all these things. And then you find out, what? And you left the faith because your faith was in the wrong thing. It wasn't in Jesus. The more knowledge, the more grief. Isn't that true? The more knowledge, the more grief. Maybe you've been, well, I won't get into it. You have enough examples to understand why Solomon is correct in this. Now, you, you juxtapose that to Jesus. Jesus comes from the standpoint of, hey, the more you experience, the more difficulty you have, the more things that you're willing to lean into me, the more joy you have. This was the verse I was telling you about earlier. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. That is what following Jesus looks like. You say, John, just a life of joy? What about this difficulty I'm going through? Oh, I didn't say it was going to be easy, nor did I say that your system or my system or it's going to be fair Life is not fair at all. Some people grow up in poverty. Some people grow up as trust fund kids. Some people grow up with a disability. Some people grow up in all sorts of ways. I didn't say that. Life's hard. The more knowledge, the more grief, the more wisdom, the more difficulty. Because you understand how broken our world really is. But Jesus' vision is this. And you have to read John 15, by the way, the whole chapter. Maybe that's your homework assignment this week. It gives you the context of what Jesus is trying to get across through bringing the kingdom of God into our lives. I've told you this so that my joy, my joy, Hebrews says that Jesus was anointed with the oil of joy. Oil and wine and bread, these are all life-giving symbols of what it looks like to be in the kingdom of God. I'll, uh, I'm going to skip through these verses because we don't have time. Here's what Isaiah says. Come, all who are thirsty. Come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. What, what this prophet is trying to say is, will you lean in, in this particular section of Scripture, there was no Jesus yet, right? It was just symbols and prophecies and things like that. Just the kingdom of God showed itself in a different way in the Old Testament. But it was still the same God. If you lean in, if you don't search for all these planting vineyards and, and, and gleaning all the way to the edge of your vineyards and thinking about yourself and not thinking about the poor and not thinking about the alien and not thinking about the disenfranchised, you, it's going to end up for you, it's going to end up bad. But if you come... To God, in our case now, Jesus, all who are thirsty, they come to the waters. And you who have no money, there's no stipulation. You don't have to work out your sin first. I really don't want to come to Jesus because I, right now, I'm the worst of the worst of the worst. That's the best time to come to Jesus. Come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. 
Don't our systems cost us too much of our lives? We work and work and work, and then our kid, we have no relationship with our kids. We, we try to do all these things to make sure that we're, you know, we educate ourselves. We go, all those things are great, but they come at such a cost. They're so hard. He says this, why spend money on what is not bread? And labor on what does not satisfy. Listen, listen to me and eat what is good. And you will delight in the riches of fare. As worship team comes back up. I want to give us an opportunity, both those of you, those who are watching online and those who are here. To begin this journey with Jesus. To begin to say, you know what? Maybe you're sitting there and you're just like, my systems aren't working. My systems aren't working. I was promised that they'd work. I was told that if I worked really, really hard that I could buy a house and I could have nice things and, and my life would be great, but that it didn't happen. I was told that if I was honest and I did all these things that my life would work out and that didn't happen. I was, I was told that my sexual freedom is just, that'll bring joy and fulfillment and that didn't happen. I was told that if I could just go after these other things or I was like really good athletically, I'd get accolades and then my back went out or my hamstring went or I went to the combine and I didn't perform well or something went wrong. And maybe, that, maybe that's you. Maybe your, your jars are empty. Maybe the wine's run out. You know, when Jesus turned the water into wine, he created 75 cases of wine. That's what 180 gallons are. You have to take the, you know, 750 mil bottles and convert them to gallons. Anyway, it's 75 cases of wine. When he provides the joy, it's overflowing. This would have been a tremendous gift to this couple because they wouldn't have drank it all and they could have sold it. The best wine. This is what a life with Jesus is like. But it's going to cost us our own systems. Those jars were stained. They're not used for the ceremonial washings anymore. They have red tint in all of them. You put water in there and it comes out a little bit red. If you've ever had any mug or something that had wine in it, you try to wash it out, it, it's, it's, it's over. But the joy is so much better. But we have to leave our sin behind. We have to leave our systems behind. And so what I want to do is give us an opportunity, and it's very simple. Jesus doesn't provide this long ways to go. Really, bro? You got to honk your horn. Sorry, for those of you watching online, there's a truck apparently outside that wants to accept Jesus. Good job. It's so simple. It's just a matter of humbling yourself before him, to admitting that your systems don't work. And maybe for you, it's really hard because your systems are working right now, but you know, oh man, you're just right on the edge. If this doesn't go, if this investment doesn't go, or this doesn't go, uh, it's a sign of a bad system. And so here's what we do. We just pray a prayer with the idea, like Mary did, okay, my wine's run out. My system didn't work. I'm going to do whatever you tell me. I'm going to do whatever you say. You have the authority. And this is the prayer. It's very simple. It's not in the Bible. It's just a prayer that over tradition we have prayed. It's just a prayer of sacrifice. 
of saying this. Lord Jesus, I know I'm broken. I know I'm sinful. I know that the systems I try to establish don't work. I pray that you would be Lord of my life, that I would look to you for my love and joy and peace, that I would look to you for direction, that I'd look to you to fill that void. My life is yours. Thank you for dying for my sins. Amen. That's all it is. That's all it is. That was the easy part. <laughs> the hard part is following them, right? But the fruit of this kingdom, and we're going to be doing a series after Easter on the fruit of the Spirit. We're talking about these empty jars being filled with love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are all kingdom manifestations in our life. Let me pray for us. And um, Ray and the band are going to end with a song. And, uh, you know, maybe for you, uh, maybe this was the first time you ever prayed that prayer. And maybe it's the 15th time. Two more and you'll catch me. <laughs> right? And maybe you just want to get on your app or write on your connection card. I invited Jesus into my heart today. And I'll reach out to you. We'll just have a conversation. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for your goodness. Lord, we didn't even talk about it. But you actually did solve the problem. Everybody there had no idea you were working on a much deeper kingdom thing. They just knew they didn't have wine and now they have wine. And we know you do those types of miracles all the time. Checks come in the mail, things happen. But Lord, I just pray for those who are just at the end of their system. It's all run out. God, would you come in mightily, transform their lives, transform their soul so that they can spend eternity with you. But not just that, but that eternity would start today for them. In Jesus' name, amen. If you want, you can stand for the blessing. For anyone who's not standing, that's fine as well. Now, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I pray you would go in His peace, in His love, and in His joy. In His name, amen. Have a great week, and we will see you next Sunday.